Brian, happy becoming legendary. Yes, happy becoming legendary <laughs> to you too, my friend. This week or this episode, we spoke with Natalie from the Durable Athlete and had a pretty fun time. It was it was an interesting conversation. We we were able to to push back on a few of the um, the topics that were brought up and um, her her education, her knowledge, and just her passion for what she does really really kind of shined out. There was um there it turned into this kind of kind of organic um, conversation with all three of us participating in, in a beautiful way. Yeah, I I really I liked conversating with Natalie, and on that subject. Sometimes I've lied to you. Sometimes I've said, hey, this is a really good conversation, but it wasn't. Fast. And we recognize that. Brian and I have talked about that. And we're not going to do that anymore. So if there's a conversation that doesn't work, you're never going to hear it. So our promise going forward is that if we put out a conversation on becoming legendary, it's going to be worth listening to and it's going to be a good time. Fair? Fair. Heck yeah. All right. So without further ado, let's get to Becoming Legendary with Natalie from The Durable Athlete. There are no gold medals for down dog. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legendary. Become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself 1% Your better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Natalie, welcome to Becoming Legendary. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me, y'all. I am doing awesome on this Friday. It is a beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. Starting to heat up, but I'll welcome it. I'm ready to get like outside and in Barton Springs here, get in the water and stuff like that. So just really enjoying this Friday afternoon. How are y'all doing? Heck yeah. Yeah, doing good. I finally yeah. heard that y'all. That's, that's that Texas draw coming out finally. <laughs> yes, that is... <laughs> definitely within me yeah in Texas, so a lot of y'all. that's fair can you give us um like a quick little window glimpse into your world who you are and just kind of try to catch our audience up to you yes i will try to make it quick um i am natalie now placentia got married in december my husband and i actually own and run our business together we own a business called Durable Athlete, and it originally started as us being personal trainers, and it grew into us then going into fascial stretch therapy as well as personal training and really specializing in durability and mobility training and getting people out of pain or helping them excel at their sport or their task just on the longevity side of things. And then it, it started to me in the direction of like, there's so much more than the training and recovery aspect when it comes to optimizing your lifestyle um, and just being happy day to day and feeling like you are thriving. And so I started 
to take the dive down, you know, let's look into sleep. And so I started really studying sleep and then I started studying nutrition and getting different certifications for those. And so that has led me to now I am currently enrolled in the integrative health practitioner course with Dr. Stephen Cabral. I am just about done with level one. I have like a few more lessons left and I'll be moving into level two, which will be more on the functional medicine lab work side of things. So I can actually, you know, have people tell me what's going on with them and then try to get to the root cause of that based on their labs and then specific protocols. So I kind of do a mix. I still do personal training. I have clients. I do online nutrition and lifestyle coaching um, remotely. And then I teach some durability classes around Austin at different gyms. So let's talk a little bit about durability. Um, I think that's a, that's a fun place. There, there are certainly less people playing in the durability world than, than other worlds. How, how, did, how did the path morph from training to durability? Yeah, great question. So I became a member at Onnit maybe eight years ago now. Mm -hmm. And Onnit is a really awesome gym in Austin that was kind of known for the functional training. They had steel maces and steel clubs and kettlebell certs, and they had durability, what they called like was their through line. And that was the first place I was really introduced to mobility specific training and the idea of like really prioritizing our joint health. And mm -hmm. they just kind of weaved that into everything they did, which I was an athlete my whole life. I did CrossFit. I coached CrossFit. I did multiple other types of certifications and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. I feel like for the first time, it was less about being really intense and much more about being really intentional, hmm. you know, and, and prioritizing joint health and, you know, optimizing movement patterns so that you can continue to push at whatever you want to and make gains, if you will, for as long as possible without injury kind of interrupting that. And I personally was dealing with some knee pain that was diagnosed as arthritis. And I had some wrist pain and different things going on that I kind of just took as somewhat normal, which I think a lot of people do, even though I was like in my young twenties at the time or mid twenties. And I slowly, but surely started to recognize that that pain would go away when I focused on doing the durability stuff. And so what that meant was there was a class that they offered that was an hour every week I would go to that was just the mobility durability. And I kind of refer to that because maybe people are more familiar with mobility, uh, but durability is the same thing. It's just like, maybe you're doing some foam rolling. Maybe you're doing some tennis ball SMR stuff. Maybe you're doing some breath work along with some kind of low intensity body weight movement or mobility specific training. So it kind of varied from class to class. But once I implemented that in my schedule, what was interesting is the hardest part of implementing it was actually, we're so used to the society that's like, go do more, right? Like mm. go, go, go. So it was really hard for me to take that Wednesday off and do durability. I felt like I was missing out on a good workout. And then after a couple of months of it, I realized like, wow, my body feels so much better. I feel much more recovered in my workouts. I'm actually, you know, feeling stronger, leaner, whatever it was while my joints were feeling better. So I just became a believer in it basically through the practice, even though I was hesitant and I will give credit to my husband, Christian, because he was coaching at on it. And he was one of the durability coaches. And even just through our friendship at first, he kind of convinced me that it's something I should do. So I, I, you know, I went because of that relationship, I guess, too. 
And I was interested in it. I knew there was value. Um, but the more I did it, the more I just truly became a believer. And then I did the certifications that they offer through durability and me to functional range conditioning and animal flow and just other modalities of like body weight, um, joint strength training that I had never done in the past. Um, so that's how I really got into it was just that exposure and the commitment to trying it long enough to where I felt the benefits. And since then, like I don't have any of that pain anymore. And my mm. approach to training is very different. And then I just realized like, there are so many people living in pain, whether that's physical mm. or mental and the durability class is a great way to get them out of pain and kind of get out of the go, go, go society that we live in and just focus on decompression, focus on working in versus working out. Right. Mm. And kind of, um, those recovery modalities. So that's what really drew me to it. I love that. It's, I want to push back on the idea yeah. of uh, <clears throat> the capacity to go. Um, I think that there's, there's two ways in which we can work on ourselves. We can work on literally creating internal internal function right and that that could be psychological it could be physical it could be metaphysical whatever however you want to define the the inner workings within you but there's i think there's a there's a cross wire within society that says if you're not working on your aesthetics and your external appearance you are not you are not going and I think, I think if we're, if we're talking about the durability of the human organism, there's a reality of you only have so many potential repetitions. You, you have a finite number of heartbeats within you. And if you extend yourself uh, utilizing those heartbeats, they will go away. So I, I just want to offer, because I think there's a, I think we tend to think about work as how, especially when we're talking about the, the body, there, that it, it is a thing that is very hard to psychologically even grasp for people. But the, there's the capacity to work on things that aren't external, that's not physique related. And I think the reality is those things are way more important. Um, CrossFit has its own... There's a different, there's a, there's an aesthetic that is required within CrossFit and it's probably detrimental to the athlete as a reality. I mean, I think that you can have a, a higher functioning body and a higher functioning mo mobility range um, without having 3% body fat. How, how does that, how does the idea of external internal work fit within your idea of athlete. What was that last part? My idea of a what kind of athlete? Durable athlete. Durable athlete. Okay, so keep asking the questions if I'm not going the right direction with it. Yeah, for but sure. To me, being durable means the ability to withstand wear and tear. And for me, it also means to be able to feel better, perform better and live better. So that is whatever someone wants to do. That is whether I want to go on a walk today and feel good, or I want to sign up for some sort of competition, or if I just want to be happy in my relationships, like it could be inside the gym, outside the gym, whatever it is, 
to me, durability is the practice of going within through physical fitness though. So it's almost like a moving meditation, which could be many things for people, but it's a daily check-in with my body, whether that's five to 10 minutes in the morning or prior to a workout or in the evening at the end of the day, just to check in. I think at least I was in a place where I was just doing right. Mm. Really open up that door um, to not just sitting down and journaling, but through movement, through actually focusing on how am I feeling from the inside out and what direction do I need to go today based on what I'm feeling. So for me, it's just, it, it goes from internal to external of like stopping, asking yourself how you're feeling, going through specific movements and actually checking in with different joints in your body. How's your energy today? Where's your mind at today? Like just pausing long enough to do that. And then I feel like from there we can move forward with a better plan each day of how, you know, whatever it is we want to do, whether again, that's rest and recovery that day or physical performance. So it just, yeah, durability to me and a durable athlete is someone who prioritizes their physical and mental well-being and understands that in order to thrive, there has to kind of be this conversation daily with ourselves around how are we doing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and is my plan the right plan for me today? And do I need to adjust? Do I need to adapt? Um, yeah. What do you guys did you say? Did you say conversation with the body? Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. the, the way we were taught, I believe, I feel like Shane Hines or John Wolf um, brought this up in the certifications. But, you know, if you if you've ever been with someone, you have a significant other or you have family you go home to. Oftentimes, you know, you guys could come in from work and you may have had a crazy day. You have no idea what that other person is going through. And you just walk in and you start dumping your stuff on them or you're really excited. But yet they've had a terrible day like it's just a miscommunication sometimes around how are you doing today before we move forward? Let's check in. Like, how was mm. your, how are you doing? Mm. Like do you need some support today. So with our own selves, being able to have that conversation with our body and say, how am I doing today? How do I feel this morning? Am I feeling more stiff? Do I, do I feel really good? Do I feel really happy today? Am I sad? Like, what do I need today based on these few minutes of going within and figuring out, the best direction for me that day. So yeah, it's a conversation with our body. Hmm. I, like I that. think Brian, Brian yeah. really fits in that world. I would say, I think that, you know, we have total responsibility for our body and the way in which we use our body ends up providing us feedback. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that but I think where, where Brian and I differ on this, and, and maybe, maybe you, can, you can come in and mediate this, <laughs> is that I don't think that there's, a, there's an intelligence that we are, we are holding two-way communication with. I don't think the body is able to say, hey, this is what I need. Our body can say, hey, this is what I am right now. And then we as the conscious being have the opportunity to shift and mold and adapt what we're doing around what we are. But our body can't say, you know, like, oh, I need whatever. I need 12 push-ups today. Our body can say, this is, this is what I have right now. And then we as a conscious being figure out how to maybe, maybe create durability or, or create response or options around what, what we actually have available to us. Does, does that fit within what you're saying? Or, or do you really feel like there's a two-way two communication happening? Great question. 
maybe a little bit of both from time to time. But mm. I will say that I guess for the average person, it's just, you know, I, I coached a lot of group classes and a lot of one-on-one, you know, personal training sessions too. And people would just come in and they're like, oh, I'm fine. And then this thing hurts, but like, I'm fine. Let's just keep doing, you know, whatever's planned. And to me, it's teaching them that like, no, let's take that information, whether it's, yeah, this is how I am today. My shoulder hurts. So rather than doing what was on my plan, I'm going to adapt and change based on that need. I'm not just going to skip over it and keep going forward and and not address what needs to be addressed. And again, that can be emotionally as well. Maybe you're just, you know, you're trying to skip over something and keep going. So yeah, maybe it's not your body being like, it's speaking to me. This is what I need. Um, But more so us building that awareness and then developing the skill of adapting after that the discernment of what's right and what's wrong yeah exactly i i if if i may i think there's there's a there's a big piece here that so so i spent a, a, a large portion of of my life um what for for no other better way to explain it is being numbed out right whether that's through through television or through through alcohol and drugs or through um, social interactions, whatever it may be. That was, I spent a big time, a big portion of my, of my life not being able to feel my body. And that was, some of that was intentional and some of that was unconscious. I think it was a combination of both. And we, there's no reason to go down that, that's that path of why, but um, what, what I'm really trying to get at here is, is now there's like, like Patrick was kind of alluding to there, there, there is a conversation that my, my body is, how I look at it is the body is speaking to me. Uh, I, and, and it speaks through energy. It speaks through sensation. It speaks through, um, vibration. It speaks through inflammation. It, it speaks through lack of inflammation. And then, and there's also then, then the, the ego part, right? The, the ego, which is what, what Natalie was kind of referring to is, 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 can you then discern what the ego wants you to do the, the push, the push, push the going and the doing, or can you then listen to what the message is from the body of what, of what it's, what it's telling you, right? It's, it's not, it's not actually saying words. It's communicating through feelings, through um, sensation, right? Through, through hot and cold, through sweat, all of those type of things. Um, and, and then with that, there's, there's another component too that, that is also kind of bleeding into all of this. And that's, and that's what, what, what does it feel like when you're, when you're giving the body what it wants? Or what 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 you think it wants? Because a lot of times those, those sensations are not going to be what your ego wants to, or, or accurately is going to give it, right? So there's a there's another component to that, um, which 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 comes with experience, which with comes with um, getting to know your physical body. And everybody's body is different, and that's and that and that's something that 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 I think is is important when you when Natalie when you're working with people, it's like you just, you'll see some people that will just push push push. They'll ignore those little messages. And then that's where injuries can come along, right? So um, there's there's a there's kind of a there's a balance there. I think we're all kind of explaining in our own little unique way. Yeah, I love what you said. I think uh, I know Christian. And I say this a lot, but like giving people what they want with what they need, because a lot of times people do want to come in and get a quote unquote hard workout, or you know, to be pushed. But maybe they need to slow down a little bit that day. And although they may leave feeling good. Sometimes people feel like they're not doing enough unless they are sweating, right? Or, you know, really struggling to get through the workout and breathe or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think it's educating people around the positives for both of those and and when they can come into play. Also, like what you said about inflammation in the body, 
that brings me back to the nutrition side of things and mm. sleep. Like mm. I'm working with people every single day who are telling me that like, I have brain fog. I'm waking up without any energy. I'm feeling really stressed. I'm bloated, but yet they're kind of just ignoring those messages from their body. Their body's trying to tell them something or they just are that thing. However you mm. want to look at it. And instead of changing what they're doing, they're just continuing to do the same thing. They're eating the same foods, not getting to bed on time, whatever it may be. So they just wake up and they feel terrible again the next day, you know? And so that's what led them to me originally is to say, okay, I need to change something, but that's harder for some people to do than others. Even when you start to point those things out and say like, okay, we're going to cut this out or we're going to make this switch. Um, but yeah, I think like most illness and disease is coming from inflammation in the body from all different angles, just overstressed. So I look at durability as that way to like help people de-stress because I'm working with people day in and day out that are, whether it's through the environment, whether it's emotional stress, whether it's the food they're putting in their body or sometimes overtraining, lack of sleep, whatever it may be, they are just very inflamed or very overstressed. It's like that holistic point of view then is what you're kind of, what you're kind of reviewing there. It's, it's taking into consideration all the things, not, not just, not just one or two components of the, of the human experience. That's super important when you, um, when you're working with clients, right. And you're working with other human beings. Um, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher as well. So one of the things I like to, to mention in, in, in the classes, what I'm teaching is, is, is not only do what feels right in your body, but but listen to the listen to the breath, right? And the breath allow the breath to be the guide through through the shapes that you make in your body. If the breath is becoming tight and restricted, then there's there's that information for you to back off, right? And then the, if the breath is smooth and flowing, then there's more opportunity for you to expand and lean into whatever your whatever shape you're in or whatever posture you're you're, you're looking at in that, in that specific moment. So there's it's it's a practice, right? It's learning how to give the body exactly what it needs and when it needs it. And every day, this is what something I've learned so recently is like every day is so, so dang different. <laughs> and like, I have a specific morning routine that I, that I do every single morning, but that morning routine now I'm just starting to, I'm 43. I'm just starting to like really understand that like that morning routine may not be what I need every morning. In fact, I know it isn't, but see, you can see my, my, my thought process is sort of butting up against that already. Um, so again, I think it's, it's important to, to, to kind of take those and do those daily check-ins like you were saying. Um, and, and I like, I like how you, how you incorporate the holistic sort of viewpoint in, in what you're doing with your clients. Is that something that you've always sort of, sort of leaned into, or is that something that you've just sort of progressing to, to now? I would definitely say over the last three to four years, it's been something that I've leaned into more prior to that. I knew it was important as far as like, again, just understanding that we're more than just the training that day and the physical mm -hmm. body, but like what, you know, how did their day go? What, what is going on at home? How stressed are they? Um, obviously sometimes people have specific goals, whether it's performance or physique. And we all know that training is just a part of that, right? They have to be doing the sleep side or food prep or whatever it may be to, to reach their goals. They have to have some sort of awareness around that. And for some people it's easier, some people it's harder. Right. And so the more I started to learn, I, I love learning and I like learning for myself and also for my clients, the more I just feel like I can't let that go. Like I, once I learn something, I like to implement it and try it myself. And then I like to share that information with others. And so 
yeah, I, I just think the more I've gone down that rabbit hole, if you will, mm-hmm. the more I like, I feel like I'm doing a disservice if I'm not at least making people somewhat aware of those things. I understand I can't necessarily dump it on people all at once, sure. but my approach is often like, let's, let's chat, let's figure out where you're at. And then let's just pick one or two things to work on right now. Maybe it's just coming into the gym for the first time or just waking up and drinking water, right? Like making sure we're hydrating enough, something simple. Let's do that for a couple of weeks. Let's check back in. Now let's add the next thing. Let's check back in. So I'm not going to just change someone's entire life right away. Um, I like to try to just kind of habit layer as we go and slowly kind of start continuing to educate them, I guess, as we go around like, okay, now let's look at your sleep. How's that going? You know, and Oftentimes I find that people are like, oh yeah, like, you know, this is what I do right before bed. And then I realize maybe that's why they're, they're not sleeping great. So we make some tweaks there to their kind of nighttime routine or whatever it is. And now their sleep has improved. So there, there are just so many pieces to why we may feel the way we feel day in and day out, or if we're making progress in the direction we want to go. And so I just love helping people kind of with all of it because, um, I just think it's important. I feel like if I'm just talking about one thing, although there are specialists in certain things and that's great for my clients, I try to, to let them know that like, even if we're just doing one thing from each of these, so if this is your training bucket and you're now training three days a week, and this is your nutrition bucket and we're now, you know, eating more well-rounded meals and this is your sleep bucket. And this, you know, you're getting eight hours every night. And then this is your relationship bucket and you're planning an outing once a month with friends. Like, I find that they are happier beings than if we were to just focus on one thing and we just neglect everything else. For sure. Very holistic in that sense. I love that. To dive a little bit deeper in that, because I I think that that can cut double edged. Um, I spent a lot of time working on the conversation between depth and novelty. So I think that, for many people, depth is the antip or ant. Let's say novelty is the antithesis of depth. Uh, and what I see a lot of people doing is surface level awareness of one subject, surface level awareness of another subject, surface level awareness of another subject, and feeling as if they're progressing but because they never actually create the novelty by digging into the depth of an individual subject, uh, there's not an actual, um, there's not a significant amount of progression. There's a significant amount of movement and jumping from topic to topic and jumping from solution to solution. But until you really ground yourself in the full depth of a specific area, I think, well, I don't think there's a reality in which you leave an awful lot on the table, an awful lot of potential benefit. But how do you balance the ideas of depth and novelty when you're when you are approaching things holistically, or when, or again, another societal problem when we're constantly presented with new information and new data, and we want to learn and learn and, and uh, show that we can accumulate knowledge in, in that societal pressured way. Good question. Right now, my mind is going towards, I definitely have a team of people around me too, that I refer out to for specific things. So if I'm working with someone who maybe I'm getting the feeling that they don't need a little bit of like this and that, and they just need, um, 
some PT work or something, like I will refer out to a PT, right? Uh, but the clients I'm working with often are wanting to, simple as it is, they're wanting to lose weight. So I'm having those conversations rather than going into every single client and just saying, well, I don't know you at all. And I'm just going to start you at the same place I would start everyone else. I'm going to have an initial consultation with you and figure out what does your life look like? What does your schedule look like? What is your stress like? Like, I want to know what your day-to-day -day looks like because for someone, they might be able to start, you know, going to the gym three days a week for an hour. And for someone else that may not be feasible. So my approach is less around like, I'm just going to make, I'm going to give this one person everything. And it's more of, I guess, using all of my past experience, mostly in personal training and the mobility training and all of that, but also the nutrition and lifestyle side of things to help people make small changes to get to their goals. So again, for some people, like they may benefit from just going from a morning walk and that may be where we start and they may start working with a personal trainer or I give them a program and they're following that, but also their diet is terrible, right? Like, and, and they're suffering because of that inflammation in their body, again, not able to lose weight. So if I can just give them some tips there, I find that that is valuable. So for me personally, I'm not trying to say I am the expert in everything, but I am wanting to help people understand that they have to take that holistic view if they are wanting to optimize their life. I don't believe that people can do that through neglecting everything else and just focusing on one thing per se, I guess. Um, so I'm trying to be that coach. Now I will say what I am working towards is again, that functional medicine lab work side of things. I want that to be my sole thing of people come to me. I'm able to kind of figure out what is going on, recommend specific labs, interpret the labs, and then give them to some of our other coaches to follow through those protocols. So I'm kind of the person they go to for functional medicine lab work. Um, so at some point I will kind of step back from doing any of the training, but also just business wise right now, like I have some clients that all I do is personal training. So I'm not nutrition coaching or doing lifestyle coaching with them. Like they're just coming to me for the training. And I may have conversations, you know, as we're training around how's life, how's your diet. Right. But they're paying me for the training and that's what I show up and present to them. But the people coming to me that are remote clients looking to lose weight, I like nutrition alone is not always the only answer. Sometimes there's other stressors in their life that we need to address or other things that are going on in their life that we need to address. So I feel like it's my duty to build awareness around those things and to help figure out where those little loopholes might be that they're not really paying attention to. Let me, let me try that. Let me, so back out of your world and, and just in the world in which kind of we're, we're conversing about, there's an idea which you kind of touched on, which is like, give people what they want and slip them what they need. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if that's the appropriate approach for people, because oftentimes what people want is dramatically uh, hurtful for their actual goals. Oftentimes people, what they want is they want to sweat a lot and, and that, that creates a, a faux reward system within them. And that may be the exact opposite thing of what their body needs. If, if they're, if they have some adrenal stress, if they have, if they have some issues that are related to, to fatigue, 
Um, and I think one of the challenges is when we go into fields like this and we end up um, interconnecting commerce, we, we have to make compromises. So excluding your specific scenario, do you think that there's a possibility that people providing this type of service, rooting themselves to what is best for their people, and you can define people however you want to define people, um, and not bending the knee to the oftentimes counterproductive desires of, of human psychology. Uh, do you think there's a role or a potential possibility for people within that world to actually plant a flag and say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and build and have the capability of building a community around that flag that they've planted? And so would that person be someone who is wanting to more so well, you could plant a flag in any way, right? Like, I, I would just say that I think what often happens is people teach handstands in yoga classes because people want to do handstands. And we then end up with an awful lot of humoral head pain because we have a lot of humoral head dysfunction and we haven't properly set the proximal head within the shoulder joint. And then we, we're upside down and we're in an inversion. So what I'm saying is, uh, th this is a, so let's say, can a yoga teacher teach primary shapes, offer primary shapes exclusively, and within the depth and the continual expanded awareness within primary yogic shapes, develop a community? Like, can, can someone take something without trying to get into the fluff and still extract the benefit for people while providing everyone what they need. That's, that's kind of my question. Can you plant a flag and can you just be you within that flag without allowing the psychology of, uh, and human emotion to push you and, and, and force you into different corners where you may have to offer something that you might not feel is the most ideal thing because you know that there are people who are going to be attracted to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think... I think that is possible. I think there are people that are not going to want to be a part of that community. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. That's happened that's, a lot, even in, yeah. again, if, if someone's coming to me for training or Christian too, and specifically I'm thinking about Christian a lot because he works in like the basketball specific, like strength and conditioning world. Hmm. And you just see so much out there of, again, like using these ladders and sand drills and like all these crazy techniques of like people just going, going, going. And a lot of times we will come in or he will come in with more like, if you want to call it easier tech, I, I don't know. I think it's simple, but not easy stuff. Um, mm. And some people are just turned off from that. They think Primary. it's not, it's yeah. not what they need. Right. And it's like the core of human movement. This is what we need. And you're, wanting to skip from A to Z and be really good at Z without being good at A. So I do think that you can plant that flag and that you can be really successful and you will get people to buy into that. But I also think you're going to get a lot of people that think they don't need it and they're not going to be attracted to it because they are going to go for the fluff. Yeah. I, I, I like it's, that. I like that you say that. I guess my, my point in bringing that up is 
I wish more people were willing to say everybody, I'm not for everybody, right? Like this is what I do and I do what I do exceptionally well. And if you don't want to be involved in that, cool. I I don't really care if you don't want to be involved in what I do. That's, That's your loss, not mine. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I do think that is important. And I, again, I have experienced that, right? And you have working at a gym in the past. Now I work more so from home and we have a garage gym, but like you're around different coaches and people have different styles and clientele, they are attracted to those. Styles. And you just have people that don't, don't like you for your style. You have other people that fully buy into that style, right? And even though each of us may believe our style is the best, like they're very different and it's okay if people aren't ready for that, I guess I would say. Right. And just, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. You're more diplomatic than I am. (laughs) (laughs) What I, what I think, what I think too, Patrick, brother is your, is I think you're kind of describing yourself in a little bit, man. Cause you do it. She's got a, he's got this wonderful yoga community that he's cultivated over the years. And you, you do a lot of, and so, so do I, but I mean, what, what I'm talking about is, is the specific people that you, that you teach to and t- teach for, um, there's, there's a, there's a certain, there's a certain style that you, that you teach you, you, you're, you're very on point and specific with the, with the primary shapes, right. And, and within those shapes though, you allow people to explore within the capacity of their own framework. And I think that's something that a lot of teachers, trainers, Natalie, that, that don't necessarily, I'm not saying you don't Natalie, I'm just saying in general that, that don't, that don't stick to, um, it's, it's something that, that, that can provide extreme value, particularly with, with, with segments of the population who like myself may have not been comfortable in their bodies before may, you know, may, may have, may have, um, an, an aspect of feeling, um, intimidated or, 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 or caught off guard in, in certain scenarios. Right. So there's like a, there's a blend of, of, of that, 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 that really works well. And what, what I also think is, and I think Natalie, you're, you're very much in the same, in the same scope here is that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is that you allow people then to, to explore their individual individuality within the durable athlete platform. Right. So you're, you're, you're giving them these, these tools that can be utilized in, in a bunch of different atmospheres or arenas or, or specific scenarios. And then within that, you're, you're allowing them to, to explore and to grow accordingly. So there's, there's planting the flag, like, like Patrick was, was so referring to, I was, there's, there's a part of that that's, people like that, like Instagram feel, right. That, that snappy, like handstand type of feel, if we're talking about that, right. Or that we're talking about it in basketball, like a crossover dribble or like now, did you, did you play sports in growing up or in college or something? I did. Yeah. I played a lot of sports growing up, but I played some college basketball. Yeah. There you go. So you understand a crossover. Yeah. So like that, that, that flashy, that flashy move, right. Like, um, and, and so the balancing the, 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 the ebbs and flows of that is, is, can be where the true medicine is at. Like that's what people, and oftentimes let's, let, let's be completely frank. A lot, a lot of people aren't, aren't out there for, 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 for the quote unquote medicine or to really improve their, their, the durability of their body or their, or that, their athleticism. They're there just to 
post a story on Instagram or to tell their friends they were at a yoga class where the teacher always does handstands. I can't do a handstand, but I'm, gosh darn it, I'm there every day, you know? So whatever, whatever the case may be, I think there's like a little bit of a balance there that we're talking about, which is like, which is something that, that we're still as a, like a, as a, as like a um, movement society, we're still trying to reach. Yeah. I'm curious from you, Patrick, too, what you have experienced. So I'm like everything that I do. I mean, Brian can tell you this on Secret Plant. Like everything I do is about planting a flag and saying like, here's what we do. We do this really well. We do this exceptionally well. And you can either be on board or not, but we're going to continue to do what we do. And honestly, I have people approach me all the time and ask me how I built, like, how do I keep building these communities? And the reality is I just do me. Like, that's the only thing I know how to do. And I just Mm. do me. And I I, like, I don't care if people don't like me is is like a really big thing (laughs) is like, if people don't like me, I'm, I'm very okay with, you don't have to like me, but I'm authentically (laughs) me in, in every interaction that I have. And that either works or it doesn't work. But I think part of, part of the things that I've learned about, building a community is is pulling the weeds and if you allow someone to be in your community who doesn't fit they they will spread the weeds the weeds the Mm. weeds have to be removed and i think the faster you remove the weeds from your community the stronger your community can be so that like that was a, one of the primary lessons I learned in the first yoga community I built is I I I tried to uh like nurture and offer a place for for everyone and it didn't matter if you were gossipy or you were bullshitty or you were etc and once I learned that lesson it was like oh we don't do gossip here like you gossip you're gone like any of those like if you come in and you're role is to create drama there's a thousand other places that will love to have you it's just (laughs) not here so to me to me it's worked out really well but i think there's a there's a a atypical component to me which is that i really don't care if i'm not liked um and that's not to say that i'm like uh, i i think most people would assume that everyone likes me but they don't um like a lot of perceptions of people and realities of people are very different things. Um, Brian can tell you, like, I am, be- I'm very much a recluse and I am, I am very much when I am in public, I, I am very much in public. And when I am not in public, I am very much not in public. And those two worlds are very, very divergent. And that's why I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> But I think, I think if more people just showed up as who they are, they would find that they are, they are legitimately magnets to people who want to be associated with what they're doing. And they would, the, the communities, the communities that people are building would be more successful and the people would be more successful long-term. I, I just think when you compromise, it's a, it's a short-term transaction that ends up having a long-term negative detriment on both your community and what you're doing. That, that has been my experience. I 100% agree with that. I feel like authenticity is mm. super important. And 
yeah, like knowing who you are and what you want to offer. I would do the same thing if I had my own space, I guess. Like I would, I would definitely kick some people out if they were gossip. That that energy can't be there, right? And I want people who are there for the right reasons. And yeah, I don't want other people running the show necessarily either of like, I want to cultivate a space that is comfortable for, for everyone and not have some people come in that are starting drama in that sense. So I agree with that. And I do agree also on, yeah, just in what you said, like planting your flag and saying, this is what I do really well. Um, I think that's a great idea too. You know, I, I think different things work for different people, but I think at the core of it, you have to be authentic and you can't be trying to please everyone because you're not going to please everyone. For sure. That's a fact. Does not yeah. matter who you are. Someone hates you. 100% yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've, with the durability stuff and kind of incorporating it, not only in just the durability class, that was more so like people know they're coming for recovery. When I was teaching more classes that were more fitness based, I would do a lot more like thinking about like lengthening the front line and strengthening, you know, the posterior chain, but like doing it and maybe incorporating the animal flow, like doing it in ways that I realized for me and other people were much safer, still challenging, but more beneficial to the body. And there were a lot of people that that was so uncomfortable for them. They hated it. Like it, it's just, it, it's also hard, you know, yeah, like sometimes the sure. simple stuff is harder than definitely lifting a bunch of weight. It's like moving your body weight can be way harder than lifting the barbell or whatever. And there were just people that did not want anything to do with that. It was either uncomfortable, not the pace they wanted, but yeah, I wasn't going to change. Right. Like, like heck yeah. Like we can do a, a, a vinyasa flow like like a hundred times over, and 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 there's there's so many people that can do that, but sit and hold like warrior two for twenty breaths, yeah. right? And 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 notice and notice what comes up. I mean that that twenty breaths is is a long time. I probably wouldn't hold them for twenty breaths, but maybe. <laughs> but but do you see? But do you see the point, right? There's like mm-hmm. there's that there's that simplicity that can be super beneficial for for, for people who are, are not used to that. Um, I, I think you touched on this. Go ahead, Patrick. Well, okay. Let me, let me get this in. Cause now I think this is a, this is an interesting question. I always trying to estimate this percentage and it's on simplicity. What percentage of the general population do you think can get into a bottom squat? Great question. Like a yogi squat. Yeah. So like yeah. deep, okay. like if, if you're using Olympic weightlifting, like deep squat, like full Got squat. It. Got it. Are there studies on this? Do you know the number? I don't know the number. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious <laughs> what your estimation is. I was is. like, man, I want to find this. Um, oh, I don't know, depending on the age range, maybe that is a factor because I've also worked with a lot of youth and kids where obviously from a young age, it's easy, but as we get older, let's just say 30 and above, I don't know, like 50%. I don't know. I feel like if I'm having people come in, maybe half of them can get into a squat and half can't, but as we age, that gets worse. So that's kind of what I found. And and sometimes obviously people can be in their eighties and still super mobile, depending on what they have been doing, but I I definitely work with a lot of people who can't. So maybe it's also the people that come to me. I don't know what percentage y'all see, but. I, well, I think that's generous. I think yeah. I mean, you have to, you're dealing with people who are like looking for, looking for mobility. Right. I, I would say it's probably so uh, Americanized. Right. I mean, if, if we get into third world countries, everyone can, cause they have to, to defecate. 
but if if we're talking about America, my guess is it's more like twenty percent. I'm I'm always I'm always amazed when someone can get into bottom squat, and I'm like, for oh, sure. Okay. Well, that's yeah. a that's a win. I think you're right. I think I'm pulling my influence. I kind of left this out, but I taught third grade. So I'm also thinking about like yeah. You know, middle school, high school. We lost your audio. Oh, for me? Can you hear now me? Now you're good. I yeah, think you good. might have just had a hand over a microphone or something. I think I did. Sorry. Um, <laughs> basically, working with people of all ages, I think, is giving me that perception. But if I'm just thinking yeah. about the adult population, I would probably agree with you there, too, depending on uh, the age again. I feel like it yeah. is no, that, for sure. Like it's super yeah. rare. Yeah, it is. And it I, is. I would say, like, that's about as that literally is as basic as you can get, right? That is a we were talking about a primal a primal mobility awareness that is a traditional shape of human restoration yeah, is to be seated in a bottom squat and mm -hmm. and you i always talk so we used to do a thing where we just sit in bottom squat for 10 mm -hmm. minutes and the conversations you have with people like that sit in bottom squat for 10 minutes is like you're going to torture me like just set me on a rack and extend my joints until they pop. This is not possible. <laughs> so I, I, I always work from that. Like here's the, the most basic human shape. And if we could do this basic human shape, right? How, how much different is the sacral lumbar connection? Like how much different is the thoracic joint positioning? How much different is the anterior posterior flexion extension range? Um, all of those things that are like cued and traditionally reset within the human body um, don't happen anymore because we've created ways to make that shape easier. Backful. So like going into furniture then, because I, I've, I'm trying to push. So my bedroom, the, the mattress itself is compressed straw. So it's a traditional Japanese style mattress. It is essentially the same density as wood. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk my girlfriend into allowing me to make that the guest room bedroom. And <laughs> no, like, that's where I stay. <laughs> <laughs> that was her response. No, no one's ever going to stay here. Yes. Like, but think about the benefits they could have. Um, how much impact do you think the furniture or the, the lifestyle we've created within our home mm. impacts our, our capacity to move? Yeah, good question. Tremendously. Yeah. I, I, I do talk about this quite a bit. I feel like I talk about like creating an environment that sets you up for success is something that I'll bring up with clients. Yeah, I love that. As simple as are you sitting in a chair all day at your desk, which a lot of people are doing, or do you sure. even have maybe a walking treadmill? Can you, can you stand, you know, do you have a standing desk, right? Like, hmm. can we switch it up? Whenever you are off of work, instead of sitting on the couch, can you get on your carpet and do some shin boxes or do some foam rolling or stretch a little bit while you're watching TV, which is what most people will do. So just trying to talk about like, one, how is your work environment set up? Because that's what we're doing most people most of the day, right? For a big chunk of the day, I'll say. And then from there, what are you doing after? Which a lot of people are sitting on a couch, right? <laughs> Many people are for, for long hours and then they're in bed. So you definitely have to talk about what is your furniture situation? Are you ever in a low squat? Are you ever in a shin box position? Are you on the floor? Are you standing? Or are you just in that same fixed sitting position 
day in and day out. Uh, I, I think that's a, it definitely impacts how your body functions. And I love what you said, sitting in a squat for 10 minutes. That's a great challenge for people. And that's the epitome of simple, not easy. Mm, it's like, exactly. so simple, yeah. but people would rather, again, sprint over to that 300 pound barbell and lift that mm. than sit in a squat for 10 minutes. And that's where you would give people what they need. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, mm-hmm. let's, let's make them do this. Um, so yeah, yeah well, I don't know. It's definitely something I think about. I think about just people's jobs in general. My brother works, or he did work construction for a while, stopped going to the gym and was one of the most fit people I knew. Like just didn't really care so much about his health, but would work all day manual labor and was really fit. He just recently switched over to more of a desk job and kind of like half and half will go on site. And the first thing I was like, now you're going to have to go back to the gym or like seek it out, yeah, you know? And he out. said within the first month, he's like, I've already noticed I got to go into the gym. Like, so yeah, our daily movement, how we're sitting, how much we're moving um, or we're stagnant has a huge impact on how we feel. So I think looking at what is your situation at your desk or what is your situation when you're eating dinner or when you're relaxing at night, like that is definitely something I get people to think about. I try to get people to like get off the couch at night and onto the floor. Yes. There's (laughs) one of the most interesting observations you can, you can have as, as a yoga teacher and, and, and most, most, probably in what you do as well, Natalie, is watching, watching your, when you taught larger classes, I would imagine, but when you, when you watch the students come into class and then try to navigate a comfortable seat, like on the floor, yeah. like Sukhasana, a simple cross-legged seat and, and watch them try. And, and I'm not laughing at the student. I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm making an observation here that, that it can be challenging for people simply to transition from a, from that walking, standing upright position into a comfortable seat on the floor. It's, it's like, um, speaking a foreign language to a lot of people. It's just very difficult to, to, to master that or not even to master it, but to, but to become comfortable sitting in in that way. Getting on and off the ground is yeah. extremely challenging for people. Exactly. Right. That might be the workout for the day. I've had clients with yeah. that challenge. I'm like, we're going to do a lot of like getting on and off the ground. That's part of your workout. You know, yeah. like yeah. why would I load them up with anything else when that at the foundation of human movement is not functioning well? is kind of that, but yeah. And you don't want to make them feel bad about it by any means. Right. But you want to make them feel more empowered by being able to move freely with their own body. hundred percent. Yes. Freedom that's thriving. Right. And that will set them up for long-term success down the road. Like you, I don't know if anybody wants to say they like can't squat themselves, you know, like get on and off the ground when they're in their eighties or whatever, or they need a walker. Like, I feel like most people want to be living with that freedom of movement and ability to like take care of themselves yeah, required guess. for independence practice yeah. that. How do we get there? No, for sure. Well, well, if you, if you start doing this stuff, right, you said you're working with some, some, some young, younger athletes, right? If we start doing this stuff, you, you don't have to learn it because it's, it's inherent within us, right? We lose mm. it at some point. Mm. If, if people were dedicated, I've talked about the the dream and it's such a hard thing, but because, and it's such a hard thing because we're, as we're developing as, as humans physically, the, the literal neural connections are not fully formed yet. Right. So Mm. we're learning to move and 
So really quickly, and, and this is very tangential for the very end of the podcast, but as when babies are when babies are born, right, they start moving around, but they have no awareness of the synapses that are firing that are creating movement. So there are neural connections firing. They are they are creating electric uh, currents through the body, and muscles are moving that is creating movement. That's why babies move so sporadically, and then. And then eventually over repeated neural, neural feedback, right? It is like, oh, this happened, my finger moved, and we hardwire that in. Well, that's happening as, as we age and pretty consistently until you're fully grown. It's why when you hit those growth spurts during, during your youth, you have, mo you have periods of time where you're remarkably clumsy because you have to relearn how to move in this new geometry of your body. So if we could somehow imp, like get the knowledge of movement into young athletes, mm. I just, so there are so many things that I can't do because as a young athlete, I, I damaged myself because I had the physical capability to do anything, but I had no awareness over what that meant. And I certainly had no awareness over the long-term implications of being mm. like, well, forget this. I'm going to like, we're going as hard as we can every single moment of every single game, every single day, six hours a day. And eventually you're like, well, that doesn't work anymore. So if we could get 12 year olds, right, to start developing the capacity for awareness within the movement so that there is a retraction of the humoral head as a baseball releases from, from the hand and you don't have that full proximal head dislocation every time you whip your arm through a throwing zone as hard as you can. Um, I just, the, the, the young athlete transitioning into either further athlete or no longer further athlete would be remarkably different. So it's rad to hear that you are working with younger athletes. Is there anything you're doing on the cognitive side that you found that's effective? Because I find that to be the hardest thing in working with young athletes is well, they can do everything, but how do we develop the awareness of what, what actually is right within the body? It's generally pretty easy with older athletes because like this hurts, this doesn't hurt. Do the one that doesn't hurt. Yeah, it, I mean, it is more challenging with kids and I, I do work with some kids. I feel like y'all would love chatting with Christian. I'm just gonna put that out there too. Y'all should have him on. Yeah, right. He, daily more than I do right now. But yeah, I, I just love what you're saying though. An idea of like, I think about it all the time. I wish someone would have taught me the, the skills that we now teach people and mm -hmm. children when I was younger, because I would have avoided a lot of injury or I probably would have performed better or had yeah. been a better mover into my adulthood. It's basically like when you're a kid, you have coaches who tell you, okay, we're going to do suicides on the court today, right? Or like you're sprinting back and forth, but no one teaches you how to sprint and stop and change directions. They just For sure. tell you to go faster. <laughs> Whereas what we're doing is teaching you how to land, how to stop, how mm. to change direction. We're looking at those angles and what's happening and really focusing on foot, ankle, knee, hip. Where are you feeling that? What, what, what is bothering you? Okay, where's that coming from? Let's watch your movement. Why? Whatever it may be we're kind of breaking that down and then teaching kids or athletes how to be better movers, which makes you typically better at your sport, yes, right? Yeah. What we're working with. So it is more challenging to get kids to buy into like, they just want, they just want to have fun. So then it's the game of for younger kids, 
again, giving them what they need and, and doing specific drills and trying to make it a bit more fun for them, you know, and like keeping them engaged. Now, as they get to, I'd say like high school, you, you can be more serious, but if they're like in elementary school in junior high, um, sometimes there's like a game element that you have to be mindful of with it, but still teaching them proper technique. Like this is what we are looking for while we're playing this game, right? Whether that's seeing it where people like, you know, chase the balloon and they're running around a cone and like, those can be fun games, but this is how we're going to stop when we do it, right? Let's practice that first. And then we're going to change this way. So yeah, I think that's like a whole nother skill set as a coach to be really patient and to be able to break things down in a way that makes sense to maybe younger kids and youth athletes. And then also just explaining to them. And honestly, this leads me to like the parents, because to be honest, sometimes the kids are bought in and they can feel the difference. And the parents are like, well, we've heard this a lot. Like, I want to go train with this person doing the Vertimax trainer, which whatever if you do that, but like, that's fine. And that can be great. But again, it's like, that's that bright, shiny object that looks really cool. And maybe someone looks really cool on social media doing that. Yeah. But like, what, what is that making them better at? Like, you're just making them work hard. You're not making them move any better, or you're not fixing that issue that keeps popping up, which is their knee hurts. You know what I mean? It's like strapping them to that is not going to fix it. So, oh yeah, I get really passionate about that. But <laughs> to that point, I feel like the parents sometimes have to understand that because sometimes it's the kids that are bought in and the parents are like, well, so-and-so is doing this. Why aren't you doing it this way? And it's like, mm-hmm. just if you, if you're coming to me and you're trusting me and people have sent you my way or whatever, like you have to trust the process. Us, like let us do our job you know what I mean and trust that this is going to continue to build and get you where you want to go but again I'm not just going to give you that bright shiny object because it looks cool when like I know you're I know you're not really benefiting from that so yeah and you kind of just have to yes stick with what you know and believe in and stay authentic to yourself and I, I find that if you're not super confident in that though people won't believe you they can you see know? that like, yeah. because it can be the the odd thing, or maybe again, I don't know if it is more boring to people, whatever. It's not as flashy as cool. Like you have to really be bought in and have to be very intentional about your coaching so that they fully buy in too. Cause if you're just kind of halfway delivering it, they're not going to feel the benefit and be a believer either. Like, so I feel like you have to truly believe in what you're doing and kind of have that passion every time you're coaching it. Because it can be the most simple movement, but I need someone to give me their all. Like it has to be intentional. And that's a big thing I'm sure. And what you guys do is like, there's a difference between going through the motions and intentional movement, right? And at the core, it's, I need this to be really intentional because the experiences and the adaptations are extremely different if it's intentional or going through the motions. Like intention is kind of everything. Um, So yeah, that's a tough question. When we go back to just thinking about kids and, the cognitive challenges there and keeping them engaged and how you're teaching to them. But yeah, I love that conversation. I don't know. You know, I don't know if I have all the answers, but. um, If you do ever have all the answers, please reach out to us. We have a lot of questions. But if you guys have some ideas. um, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but you just have to. You have to believe in what you're doing and um and yeah there's going to be people that don't believe in it you know and and which is sad to to some degree of like you know that it would benefit 
Um, but I think if you can get people to experience it, even just a little bit and feel some positive effects, usually they're at least more curious, right? And they're, they want to come back from a hundred percent. I mean, you can go back through your, through your sports career and through your childhood and you could, you could, I know for me specifically, I can, I could smell or pick out those coaches or still remember them who were faking it, who didn't give, who, who, who weren't intentional about what they were doing. Like I had a guy in, in taught us basketball in middle school. We were running like an NBA offense in like eighth grade. And it was like, wait, what? Like all this like isolation and all this, like, it was just really like, he, he was reading out of a book. I remember him like having a book and on the sidelines and he was like coaching us through this book. So he didn't, he didn't care. And, you, and, and it was a horrible experience. Right. So maybe you want to quit basketball, but um, that's just one example, right? The, especially the youth, you can, you can, you can sniff that out from a mile away. There's, there's, there's no question. There's no question about it. Definitely. And I'm sure you guys have gone through this, but again, it does go back what we were saying of like, being authentic. And sometimes there's people who are really successful who really aren't that great at what they do. Like they're not good coaches and people just maybe, you know, maybe their personality attracts people, which is part of coaching too. Like people, you have to have people buy into you, right? Like to some degree, exactly. people are coming to you to feel connected. So some people are really great at that, but you can't like, I feel like Christian, and I talked about this. We can't get caught up on the people who like are, are doing the, who like we just have to stay in our lane be authentic stay in your lane believe in what you're doing and understand that like that is enough enough value and the right people will come to it 100 percent. heck yeah heck yeah, yeah. Keep, that's the keep perfect doing, place to end it yeah keep doing what you're doing natalie you're, yeah. you're rad you're rad thanks y'all too i wish i could go to your yoga classes <laughs> tomorrow morning 8 a.m patrick teaches too somewhere <laughs> <laughs> That's that plug for my forever yoga class. I'm curious. Say yoga, again? Hot, hot yoga, not hot yoga. Like what kind of yoga? No, no heat, no mirrors, just your breath and your body. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. How I know you brought this up earlier, but I had this question. I didn't say it, but like, how hard is it just to get people to tune into their breath? Speaking of like people being more aware of their body. Hmm. I find like people aren't even aware if they're breathing or not. Oh, hundred percent. An opening. I always like to teach a breath practice in the beginning of, 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 of class. And, and, and that's normally like three to five minutes. And, and sometimes I invite them to close their eyes. Sometimes I don't. And, and it's up to you. It's your choice. But there's, there's, when the breath comes up, there's, there's lots of this, there's lots of the, the eyes darting around and, and are, is this over yet? Can we move? Like it's, it's even, it, it, and then to match the the breath with sitting still is is another challenge. So so those two components can be that's where that's where the work lies, right? The, the, those those portions of class are, can be some of the most impactful. They truly can. I remember when I first started going to yoga, I like did not like yoga because, and I always just thought I was like, I don't know, all over the place. Like I was like, I'm maybe I have some ADHD or something, right? Like I'm high energy and this is hard. And how are people just sitting here? And like, I would go. And then in the past two years, like there was a period of time where I, I didn't go and then started going again. And it was so much easier for me to slow down, yes. to enjoy all of the quiet moments, to focus on my breath. I remember thinking like, it, it's not really a personality thing for me. It's, it's one, a skill. And yeah. us just, again, going back to that, like stress that we're under and like kind of facade, I guess, of like, we need to be doing more and like getting out of that space and understanding the value of slowing down and feeling those benefits where I remember just going and being like, 
I could actually go through the whole thing so peacefully, so calmly, yes. you know, close my eyes, breathe for however long, like it's, it's a great feeling. So it is interesting to see people and myself shift from that space of not being able to do it and, yes. and opening the eyes to like getting to that place of being okay with that stillness. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. feel like it's like the nervous system being in overdrive versus the nervous system being comfortable. I yeah, guess. 100%. Sympathetic versus parasympathetic. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, y'all. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Heck yeah. Heck, heck yeah. yeah. Appreciate the heck out of you jumping on. Really, uh, really nice to be able to push back on some concepts and have you have the depth of awareness to be able to dive dive into those things really deeply. So um, thanks. Thanks for your time and for being you. Heck yeah.